Hey, well, thank you, Kevin and Alicia and Greg and Cliff, everyone involved. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. If you're listening online later, thank you for doing that. If you're watching on Facebook Live this morning, welcome to you. And if you're sitting here and watching Facebook Live, that's weird. But we're still glad to have you here in this space. Um, well, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt this way at Christmas time, but I have. And my wife has helped me with this over the years, but especially earlier on when we were married, the uh, uncertainty around what to get her for Christmas um, was a pretty big deal. Do any husbands, can we relate at all for a minute as husbands? Do you ever feel that? I, f I see that hand. I see that hand. There we go. We're doing it. That, like, what am I going to do? And, and as I was thinking about that phenomenon of being unsure what to get people for Christmas and the uncertainty that's around that, I, I kind of put it in this way and see if you agree that I think that uncertainty is intimidating. I think uncertainty is intimidating, not only in what you get people for Christmas, but I think uncertainty is intimidating when you don't know what job you're going to get when you graduate. I think uncertainty is intimidating when you're thinking about asking the girl out and not sure what she's going to say, or you're hoping the guy doesn't ask you out and you think he just might. I think uncertainty is intimidating when you're afraid of what the season is going to hold for you this year. I think uncertainty is intimidating when you don't know if you're going to make the team. Uncertainty is intimidating when you get the lead role and you're not sure how you are actually going to perform when the lights come up and the curtain opens up and there you are. How are you actually going to function? You know, I remember at the Christmas season when we came home from Barbados and Grenada where I grew up as a missionary kid, um, we would travel... Um, from Pennsylvania here up to Connecticut to see my extended family. And this was before Google Maps and before Siri and before Apple Maps, Maps thankfully. Um, and we had an actually a, a paper map. Has anyone actually ever seen one of those before? And has anyone ever been able to look, fold one back up again? Right, yeah, some of us are still trying. And so I remember sitting in the back with my sister and there was a line in the seat behind us, right? Like, you don't cross the line. And we were always, always nice to each other in the car all the way up to Connecticut. And if you're going to Connecticut even today, like it's a bit of a mess to get up there in the Northeast. Like you're going up 95 and just a traffic mess to get there. I didn't process that as a kid, but I just knew that, that mom and dad had a paper map that they would pull out somewhere on the way up. And almost every time it was a new route because let's try this new way, a scenic byway, and let's get off the main road and do this instead, which is cool if you're using Google Maps which can, or GPS, Garmin or something like that that can adjust. But if you're on a paper map, things can get weird pretty quickly. And as I remember sitting back there as a kid like, this is getting weird up there. I don't know what's going on. On, but there's a little bit of stress in the cockpit is kind of what I was sensing back here. So here's what, as I think about that moment, here's what I think about uncertainty. All of a sudden there's uncertainty as to where we're going. Are we even going the right direction? So in uncertainty, here's what I'm reflecting on that I learned as a kid in the back seat as my parents were experiencing uncertainty on the way up. In uncertainty, you begin to question yourself. Why did I decide to go this way? Why didn't I just take 95? Why did I have to take a new way to go? Why am I doing it this way? If I would have known this, I wouldn't have done this. In uncertainty, you begin to question yourself. Why did you ever put your family on this path to begin with? Why didn't you take that job offer? Why did you take this one? Why did you make the decisions to do what you are doing? You're in this situation because you made the decisions. In uncertainty, we begin to question ourselves. Secondly, here's what I noticed as a kid sitting in the back seat. You question your map, right? Like, road construction, detours. Back when there's only paper maps, that is a pain. I mean, you're supposed to turn and then you follow the detour signs, but they don't put all the detour signs out. And now all of a sudden you're stuck and you have to find, you can't, by the way, if you're in the younger generation, you can't actually pinch and zoom on the paper maps. Like that doesn't, 
It doesn't work. And so you can't tell where you are. And all of a sudden you question your map. Like this map isn't any good. It's an old map. I've got old advice from people who were giving me advice that wasn't the right thing to do. They've never been in my situation. Why did I follow the advice of my parents or grandparents or my friends or my family? Why did I listen to them? They gave me a road map of where to go. And I don't think the map that was given me was the right one. I also think you begin to question the people around you. Well, you thought that you recognized that maple tree. Why didn't you say something five miles ago that we should have gone that direction? And then you begin to kind of turn your stress around to the people around you. Like if you would have said something and spoken up back there, you knew that we should have turned left and not right. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you help me see this? And ultimately, your stress level rises. Things just get hard. In the middle of serious uncertainty, in the middle of times when things just aren't sure and they're kind of heavy in your soul, these things happen. They happen in my car, I know that. And I think they happen in real life. And I think they happen so much that they actually happen to the very people who were the closest to Jesus when he was here on earth. The very people who you would think if uncertainty could pass by anybody, if anybody could be certain of what to do, certainly it, it would be the people who are actually touching and following and listening to Jesus, whom Christians believe is God in the flesh. If any certainty is to be had about life, come on, can it be with Jesus and can it be with the people immediately following him? Literally right there, eating meals with him, talking to him, touching and walking with him. Certainly, you would hope that there could be some confidence and certainty around that life, but there wasn't. In fact, here's what Jesus had said um, to, these, to these folks, to these disciples, people who were following him. He created, um, he, he had said to them so many things about what was going to be happening to them that it created such anxiety in them that he had to speak um, words then that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to end up in the Gospel of John. And so as you are here this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, by the way. The New Testament is in the right two-thirds of your Bible. And John um, was an early follower of Jesus. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible in the pew around you. Um, and that's our gift to you, by the way, if you don't own one. But John chapter 14 is where we're going to end up. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples there. And here's my, my big idea for this morning. So as you turn, once you get there, just kind of pull back out and come up here for a second. Um, in case you fall asleep or do Facebook Live and wonder why I'm lagging on Facebook Live, you're not quite here, you know. Here's a big idea that I want to communicate and then I want to explain why it is this morning. So here's what I'm going after. In the middle of uncertainty, I believe this, that the smallest faith, the smallest faith, is bigger and stronger than the biggest uncertainty. The smallest faith is stronger than the biggest uncertainty that you face. Now, I want to explain that, walk that through, but if you want to know the answer to the question, what did the God talk about this morning? Here's the answer to the question. The smallest faith is stronger than the biggest uncertainty. Now, here's what Jesus had said. We're going to read John 14 in just a second. As you get into John 14, we read that. I want you to know what had just happened. Here's what Jesus had just said to his disciples. Several things. So Jesus had told them this. He had told them that he was going away. Now imagine that. The, the person you're following, the leader, someone who's your mentor, someone who you trust like Jesus, he just said, hey guys, I'm going to go away. Then he said this, uh, I'm going to also die. Just a heads up, yeah, I'm going to die. That a disciple was a traitor. Hey, among you, one of you is going to betray me. He just told them that. He also said this, that Peter, the one who was the rock, the one who was, if you will, one of the best followers, strongest, would disown him three times, that Satan was working against them, and finally this, that all the disciples would fall away. Well, that feels pretty awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Can you imagine following someone? And this is, this is the moment they're in. This is the mindset that they're in as the disciples. They are hearing news upon news upon news about all these things that all of a sudden create a deep uncertainty about what is to come in their future. They had just given years of their life to follow him, and now Jesus comes out with all this stuff. What are they going to do? And in John 14, Jesus begins, he begins saying it this way, and this is directly in the context of, of all of these things that they are processing. Look at verse 1, we're just going to stop in the first sentence, because the first sentence I think is so powerful, we'll, we'll go on, but we're going to pause on the first one. He says this, do not, do not let your hearts be, what, troubled. <laughs> is there any more tone-deaf advice than that? I mean, let's get out of our spiritual mind for a minute. Think about it this way. Imagine if I were sitting in the backseat of my parents' car on the way to Connecticut, and the stress rises because we're somewhere off on a byway somewhere, and I'm just sitting back there, and mom and dad are, are very politely discussing options, you know, about what could be. What if I just piped up? Do not let your hearts... In real life, this is foolish advice when you're in the middle of stress, isn't it? Do not let your heart be tripped. Come on. Have you been in my shoes? Have you seen where we're at? We have no idea where we're going. I don't know what the test results are going to be. I don't know if I'm going to have money at the end of the month. I don't know about my relational future. I haven't talked to my wife about how I really feel forever. I don't think our marriage is really salvageable. Hopefully I can make it until I die. I don't know if I can or not. I mean, come on, are you serious? Have you actually sat in my car with me and felt what it's like to be off track? And you're telling me, don't let your heart be troubled? That's the last voice that I need. I need someone who's in there saying, I feel your pain. I get where you're at, and how can we help you? Do not let your heart be troubled. Seriously? Seriously? But in these words, Jesus gives us very insightful thoughts. Look at the first three words of this. I'm just going to highlight it up here. He says, do not let. Think about this for a minute. Here's what he's saying to you. If you're in a situation right now where you're saying, boy, I wish there were some things that were maybe a little bit different in my life. There's some uncertainty about my future. There's some anxiety that I carry, if I'm honest. Do not let. In other words, he's saying, you have a choice. There is an option. There is not just fate. Just because you're carrying a weight does not mean that weight needs to overwhelm do not let you have some power, if you will. You have some control. Do not, let, do not sit back and passively let the weight of being off track or off course overwhelm you. Do not let. Do not let. Then he says this, your hearts. Here's what I'm learning as I'm talking to a counselor myself these days. I'm learning this, that there are two parts of you and two parts of me and two parts of the identity that we carry. One is the public me, and the other is the private me, and we all have this. So while the public me might stand up here and showered and groomed this morning and, you know, smell halfway decent at least, I can project to you and you can project to me a sense of having my world not troubled. In fact, if you don't know me, you might just look at me and say, it doesn't look like you have many troubles. Your family isn't going through what my family is going through. You know, your marriage may not be in the situation mine is. Your finances may or may not be in the situation mine are. You aren't dealing with the things internally that I am. And you don't simply know. But you're picking up a public me. There's a private me that goes on to. There's a private me. 
And the heart, in the New Testament language, the heart doesn't speak to the public you. It doesn't speak to how well you put yourself together next to the people around you. It speaks to the private you that really only you know. It speaks to your private anxieties. It speaks to your private desire to want to be accepted by the people sitting right next to you. It speaks to those private fears and anxieties and worries that you have and that I have. And it's into that space, not into the public persona, but into the private space where Jesus says, don't let that part of you. Then he says this, be troubled. One of the greatest translations I love about this, this word in the New Testament actually um, can be translated this way. Don't allow the circumstances to intimidate you. That's the idea of troubled. Don't be intimidated by. Don't be intimidated by. So you're looking at your future and you're unsure what it could be. You can put on a public persona for your employees, for your peers, for the people that you work with and work for, and you can kind of fake it until you make it, as we say, but you know internally there's a heart piece of you. This is what Jesus is speaking to. Don't let that internal side of you be intimidated by the circumstances you find yourself in. You're off course? I get it. You're off course? You wish things were different? You're unsure about what will happen within your family, within your own faith? You're unsure about all that? Don't allow yourself to be intimidated by the place that you find yourself in, internally in your heart. And then Jesus goes on. And then he says this, you believe in God, believe also in me. That is his first key for this non-intimidation advice that he gives. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to the disciples and to us, I believe, when you wake up and you believe in gravity, when you wake up and you see the sunshine like Kevin just mentioned, when you go to the mountains and you're overwhelmed by the beauty of nature, go to the beach and are overwhelmed by sand between your toes, which I hate as well, okay, but we know that there's good and evil in the world and that may be part of evil, okay. When you, when you see, when you, when you have this sense, this awareness, this kind of backstop in your life that there is a God that has created something, wherever you put the backstop of your faith that I can't really go further back than this, Jesus is saying to the disciples, you have believed in this God. In their world, they were, they were in the, the um, you know, they, were, they grew up Jewish, right? And they, they were understanding God as a God of the Old Testament who made the world. He's saying, you, you believe in that God. Take that faith on him and put it on me. Can you imagine the call that would be for these disciples? Take the faith that you have for the creator of the world, the one who sustains it all, the one who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall. Take the faith that you have in this all-powerful creator, sovereign God, who one day will bring everything under his control. Take that faith and control, you have, faith you have in him, and place it in me, Jesus says. Then he says this, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going, which is so comforting. I'm going away, I'm leaving you. Now to which Thomas says to him, verse five, uh, Thomas raised his hand in the back and he said, Lord, we don't actually know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that sets the stage 
for the way that Jesus introduces himself to us this morning. This series on Jesus has been about how he introduces us himself to the world. And this is where Jesus says, and if you've been in church before, you've heard this. If you haven't, here you go, you get to hear it. And it's in this context, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, he says, comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know the way. I'm going to prepare a place. Thomas says, Where's, how do I get there? Let me tell you, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What you may not pick up on, and I didn't pick up on until I did a little bit of research on it, is that the, in the Jewish world, the word way indicates a way of living that is more than just rules-based. In other words, it's kind of like you may have talked about people saying, hey, well, she has a certain way about her, or he has a certain way about him, right? We use that that way. This is the way that the Jews would have seen their world. Their obedience to the Torah or the law is seen as a way of life, not just rules to follow. So the way of life in ancient Judaism was learning the habits and routines and right values and responses. It's the way that you live. And we had the chance this, um, this past week to have a couple of open house Christmas parties at our house, which was a lot of fun. Let me ask you, how many of you um, envisioned me at those events leading the Christmas karaoke sing-along? Why not? You should have come to these Christmas open houses at our house. The reason is because if you know me at all, you know, well, that's probably not the way that Tim does things. Right? Like, can you imagine me doing that? You're allowed to have some reaction. Yeah? Yeah, that's and like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not sure I can see that. Why? Because it doesn't feel consistent with maybe the way that I'll often present myself even here this morning. Like, oh, are you going to pull off the Christmas karaoke sing-along? Like, I don't know. I could see Greg doing that because he loves Christmas songs. <laughs> but I don't know if I see you. Why? Because you know that we all have ways about us. And this is the way the Jews had. The Jews had a particular way to relate to the Father, and their way was through obedience to the Torah. And Jesus is taking that way, that old way, and replacing it with himself and saying there's a new way to relate to God. And that's why he says next, I am the way, I'm the way, I'm the way to, 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 to God, and I'm the truth. That's a very important next thing he says. And I've said this about this concept all the time. That Jesus says, and I want you to, to make sure you hear this, especially if you've had any kind of bad church experience or religious experience, that religion is not just a set of rules. Christianity is not just a set of principles or theory that we all kind of sign on to and dot our I's and cross our T's. Jesus is himself making truth both personal and propositional. Big words, I know, but personal and propositional. Personal meaning, if you want to know what truth is, don't just look at the propositions, that is the, the principles of faith, and while that is good to look at, there are some things that are true propositionally. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. It's not just that I teach the truth. It's not just that I communicate true principles. I embody truth as the way. I am the way. If you want to know truth, look to me personally. I am the way, and I am the truth. And then consequently, as the way and the truth, I am the life. The beautiful, beautiful imagery of how Jesus works us. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, here's the question I have about this. If this is true, if this is true that Jesus is the way, 
and he's the truth, and he's the life. I have to ask myself this question. How do I get on the way? How do I get on the way? If you are interested in this question, and I am, if Jesus is the way, and he's presenting himself as the way to the Father, how do I get on the way? How do I even get on the way? What does that look like? Let me go back to my opening um, uh, big idea for a minute, okay? Here's what I said at the beginning. That the, the smallest faith is stronger than the biggest uncertainty. The smallest faith is stronger than the biggest uncertainty. And the reason I said that is because of John 14, 1, where Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And as I look at this, the smallest faith is stronger than the biggest uncertainty, and therefore it follows that this is also true, I believe, that the smallest step of faith puts you on the way. The smallest step of faith puts you and puts me on the way. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 14 with me, okay? John chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Jesus is continuing. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Do you see how he ties it in verse 12? Belief with doing. It's just the normal tie-in. We'll see it next week as well. That belief and activity, belief and obedience go together. Love and obedience are tied together. So the activity of what we do is tied into our belief. If I don't do something with my belief, I don't actually have belief. I have something, but I don't have belief that isn't tied to doing. Jesus says right away, I tell you, whoever believes in me will just do the works I've been doing. And then he makes this crazy statement. They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. This doesn't make any sense to me at one at the first glance. But here's what I've come to believe about this. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little confused about what this means because I don't know of anyone who has done greater works than Jesus. Like, do you know of anyone in Christian history who has continued to raise people from the dead, heal the blind, uh, go through a resurrection, and that kind of teaching? And like, I don't know of anyone, right, who has done something greater <laughs> Than Jesus. So I'm a little confused by what he means. Here's my best understanding of it. My best understanding is that it's greater in scope, not in intensity. Meaning that Jesus' ministry was focused right in the uh, ancient Near East, right in Jerusalem very much so. But after he died and, and was resurrected and ascended to the Father, then the, the scope of the ministry began to expand. And my best understanding of this is that the greater work that is done is the work that you do and the work that I do now here among our friends, our neighbors, as the great scope of Christian love extends beyond where Jesus was in that time. Is that the right interpretation? I don't know. You get, kind of get to decide. That's how I see this, that the work continues to be greater. The impact of it is greater and broader and wider than it even was in Jesus' day. That's about the only way I can make sense of this. But one way or the other, it's about activity. It's about doing something. It's about taking a small step of faith. And Jesus continues in verse 13. And he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Again, what a, what a blank check it seems like Jesus is writing. But again, I just want to tie it in briefly to say this, that Jesus is inviting you to pray, to ask for things in his name, which is essentially along the way. What are the things that Jesus would already want for you that are in line with his character and his way that would be appropriate for you to be praying for? Boldness 
courage, faith, belief, confidence, forgiveness, second chances, trust, that you would have an increasing measure of these things over and over and over and over and over again. The people who you interact with and I interact with will see Jesus through you and through me. That ask anything in my name, ask anything according to the way in which Jesus has already taught, ask these things that I already want and I will do these for you. This isn't a carte blanche thing to say, just get rid of the mortgage for me, get rid of my kids' problems, get rid of my marriage problems, blah, blah, blah. This is a, ask anything in my name. Ask anything in the way. And so here's why I say that. How do you get on the way? If you're facing uncertainty, if you're facing uncertainty, if you're looking around you and looking inside of you, and right now you might be maybe like my family car was, if you could zoom in my car for a minute, and we're off the way, on the way to Connecticut, but we are off the way somewhere trying to pinch in and zoom on that paper map and can't find our way. And there's a little bit of stress in the world around your own faith, around your own family, your future, whatever it might be. What do you do? How do you interact with that? One, honestly, publicly, if we're honest, we can just push through, okay? And no one will know your heart, okay? Just fake it till you make it. Hopefully no one will really question and you can kind of push through a season. You can get through that way for a little while. At some point, the internal part of you falls apart because the internal part of you can be intimidated by the circumstances that you face. And if that is where you are, where your heart and your inside of you is intimidated by what could be, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. Don't allow it to be intimidated by the circumstances. Believe. Have a moment where you stop and say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his way. And what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to do one small step. I'm going to pray one small prayer. And the weakest and smallest faith is bigger and stronger than the biggest uncertainty. If you want to know how to be on the way and how not to be overcome by that which threatens to overcome you inside, what I think Jesus is saying in John 14 is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, meaning trust me. Because you trust me, act and pray as people who trust me. And it doesn't need to be awesome. It just needs to be one small step which might be an encouraging text. It might be a small prayer that you can find grace in your heart for the family member that you frankly don't want to find any grace for. It may be a prayer, maybe a note, maybe an activity, maybe time spent, maybe something small that you can do, but I'm just telling you as I read John 14, and Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And take one small step. One small step to act on what you know at this Christmas season. Even in the middle of all of the uncertainty that you face. Do not let, do not allow your heart to be troubled. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Next week, our final installment of this Jesus series where we see one other way in which he introduces himself as the vine and we are the branches. And I look forward to that next week. Be pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning and to see into your word again how we can come to know you in a personal way. 
through many of the uncertainties and challenges that we face inside our hearts, in the innermost part of who we are. And I pray that you would give us courage for that space that many uh, don't see because we don't allow ourselves to be seen or known that way very easily. I pray that you would give us courage to take one small step. One small step of prayer. One small step of encouragement. One small step of belief and trust. One small step of confession. One small step of calling a counselor. Whatever it is that we need to do, Father, I pray that you would help us to have belief and to act on that belief in the middle of uncertain times for us. We thank you that Jesus has come to show us the way to the Father as the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that you would help us to believe and trust in this wonderful Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.